morning. I am so grateful for the opportunity to introduce Pamela Stringfield to you this morning. That's right. Pamela is a Chattanooga native. Um, she's a Covenant alumna and received her master's degree in educational ministries from Covenant Theological Seminary in St. Louis. She has been on staff at Perimeter Church in Atlanta and most recently joined the staff and community development work of Focused Community Strategies as the Neighborhood Engagement Coordinator. She is a friend, a woman of great faith and contagious joy. Please join me in welcoming Pamela. are a good-looking bunch. Have you seen yourselves lately? Um, sincerely, thank you all so much for having me. Uh, it really is a pleasure and a joy to be here on one side. And if I'm keeping it real, I am nervous out of my mind uh, to be in this room, but it really is a joy uh, to be with you. I want to give a shout out to my army of folks, my ladies who and guys who are praying. Uh, so thank you guys so much for praying for me. Please pray for me. I will pray for you. Uh, as we jump into what God is doing. And I want to give another shout out to um, my family, my amazing family. My husband's been working with me uh, trying to get this talk together. This 20-minute talk has taken most, like, a month and some change, okay? So um, he's been so kind to, to work with me. And other ladies who have actually literally come have braved the Atlanta traffic to come up here and uh, love on me and pray for me. So, again, thank you to all of those folks. And thank you again for having me, staff and faculty. And it's just an honor to be back on this campus. Um, I'm going to read Psalm 34, so stay with me. I will bless the Lord at all times. Every chance I get, his praise will continually be in my mouth. My soul will make its bragging rights in the Lord. So let the humble, those who are going through, be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt him together. Why? Because I sought the Lord. He answered me and he delivered me from all of my fears. Those who look to him are radiant and their faces will never be put to shame. Let me pray for us one more time. Jesus, the name that is above every name, you are amazing and powerful and glorious and we're so thankful for all that you've done. We welcome you here in this place. I pray that you would move me aside and that your beloved, beautiful children would hear their daddy's voice speak tenderly to them. If they're in a, in a flourishing place or in a desert place, if they would hear the sound of their father calling them and if they would come. So Jesus, would you please be present? Thank you that you are. Thank you for what you'll say to us and through me today. So this summer, I got to attend a music conference in Atlanta. It was hosted by an amazing church here in Chattanooga. Uh, but they were down in Atlanta, and I got to participate in a breakout session. Uh, it was for collaborating with kids to write music. Uh, and so the facilitator, she came into the room, uh, she's real fun, funny girl, came into the room and she wrote these letters on the board. F-E-A-R. Fear. I knew in that moment it was about to go down. She turned to us very subtly and she said, so, what are you afraid of? 
and then I knew it was really about to go down. In that moment, it, it, things were about to get crazy. I wanted to be the silly, effervescent Pam that I always am, but I knew that something was about to happen, and I just needed to hold on. Up until that moment, I had been really, really goofy, but I knew that it was about to get real. The breakout session was supposed to be a mock collaborative session for kids. For kids! We were there to talk about how to write songs for kids, and we are talking about fear. Seriously? So I wanted to pitch out some safe and expected answers of what would you be afraid of? So I said things like sharks and snakes and the boogeyman. And she and the Lord had clearly, y'all, clearly had been conspiring to pursue my heart in front of all of those people because it wasn't enough to just throw those things out. The question rang out again, and my mind began to rummage through stacks on stacks on stacks of all of my fears. Some of them are God. What if something tragic happens to my family, to my kids, my two boys who I love dearly, or to my family members? God, what if, what if we don't have enough money? What am I going to do with this degree? What am I going to do with myself when I grow up? Do I really have to be the only brown person again? Do I really have to go give this talk at Covenant College? Seriously? Will it be cancer? Will I be late? Will I? What if? All those things just kept coming, kept coming, kept coming. I could almost hear myself scream, don't go in there, don't open that. Y'all getting too real. Y'all putting my business out on Front Street. And I wasn't ready for that. I wanted to keep it light. Through her question, I was made aware just how much and how far-reaching my fear had been an active agent in my life. Fear and anxiety like kudzu had covered the landscape of my life. For me, fear and anxiety is this seemingly permanent fixture in my life. It seems to have always been with me from my earliest memories of my mom telling me and my little brother to be aware of snakes okay, and stranger danger and some people cooking because not everybody washes their hands. Okay, That's a real thing. And often she would remind us that we were brown and that the world could be particularly harsh to such people. Driving home, stuck in a beautiful Atlanta traffic, God pressed in even further. So why? Why are you afraid of all of those things? And I shrugged to no one and, and heard myself be honest with God. I don't know why I'm so fearful, why I'm so easily anxious. I just am. And then he pressed a little bit further, and I said, well, maybe, possibly it's because my life was so movable. Nothing was fixed. Nothing was nailed down. Nothing was sacred. Nothing was stable. From moving in with different families because my mother has a drug addiction. Or being the poor kid amongst the sea of white, rich families. Having no father. Or being abused, etc., etc., etc. And I said to him, I remember saying to him very vividly, am I always going to be this way? Am I ever going to grow past this crippling fear. I guess this is just who I am. This is my lot in life. So a few days later, I'm minding my own business in my living room. Uh, one of the things I get to do back home is I love leading worship. It is super, super fun. And I get to lead at my church, and it's awesome. And I was preparing, uh, preparing an exhortation piece, and as I was doing that, um, a friend texted me this verse, Psalm 34, 1 through 5, and the verse 4 arrested me. It absolutely stopped me in my tracks. 
and I read it over and over and over again, and it began to minister to me. And in that moment, it brought me to tears as I heard the Lord say to me, Pam, I promise I will make you free. I get, I get the gooseies even now. God says, I promise I will make you free. You will know freedom from the crippling power of, of fear. As I sat there reading that passage, and as that passage was reading me, I was convicted that I had been coping with my fear, managing my fear and anxiety like a low-grade fever. I would try to keep it at bay, trying to be overly prepared and polished. But God wanted more. Through this simple ancient song lyric, I was reminded that God was offering me more than just managing my brokenness. He was promising, he was promising to make me free. God knew my story. He knew my battle with this ancient foe. And God sent David to share his countless stories of facing fear and anxiety. I felt like my living room had turned into a testimony service as his stories of fear and faith informed and challenged my own. David's experience of our living God birthed a living hope in me for the first time maybe ever. Okay, so let's listen. Let's listen real quick, family. I'm not going to preach to you. I'm not going to try to exegete the scriptures before you this morning. I'm probably not going to drop any hard science on anybody today. Uh, this isn't a, a cheat sheet, a quick way to get around anxiety. I don't have that for you. I don't have a five tricks to get around it. Uh, so if that's what you're looking for, you can check out right about now. Um, but I want to define anxiety and fear this way. Uh, anxiety and fear are worry and concern on steroids. You know when it's just gone too far, it's beyond what we can manage. Um, it manifests itself, at least in me, it's manifested itself in extreme nervousness and body quaking and making the things that I enjoy, like standing in front of all of you incredible people, absolutely debilitating. And this isn't a bowed off finished process. So my stuff, I'm still working through it. I don't have, again, a five-step plan for you. But this is my process, and I'm merely inviting you into it. I am desiring to invite you into that testimony service that God, David, and I had in my living room just a few weeks ago. I'm inviting you to witness God's simple yet extraordinary promise and to glean hope from our stories. For the sake of time, I'm just going to touch on a few things, and I'm going to be out your way, okay? Um, so the first thing is, just give you a little background, just a little background on Psalm 34. It was written by David, and he, was, he wrote it. Um, David was on the run from Saul. Everyone knew him as a giant slayer and the great warrior. Uh, he came upon um, allies of Saul in Delilah's hometown, and to keep from being recognized as a giant slayer and a possible threat, he just started acting crazy, like real crazy, like banging his head, you know, against the wall and just extra, extra stuff. Just probably classic David, just real dramatic. <laughs> I see him as super dramatic. Read your Bibles. He's just dramatic. Um, so he was pretending to be crazy. And when his scheme worked, so he wouldn't be recognized and be killed or sent back to Saul or any of that. When it worked, David, y'all, he stopped what he was doing. He was like, oh, my word. He had to stop and write a song about it. Want to hear it? Here it go. He penned the song, probably in the cave or on the run, and he posted that junk to Facebook, and it went viral, okay? <laughs> so this song tells us his inner battle with life and death situation. Um, he's using this passage to remind us of some simple yet transformative truths 
that's absolutely, that's absolutely essential for our journey towards freedom from fear. The first one, again, not dropping any science on you. I sought God. I sought God. That's what it says, real simply. I sought God. We're going to just break this whole phrase down real quick. Where was David? He was in a really dire situation. He had every reason to be afraid. He was, it was a true life and death experience. He wasn't just doing a public speaking situation. He really was facing potential death. And in his turbulent place, in his turbulent place, somebody say in, in his turbulent place, he looked for and to Yahweh. He looked to God. He wasn't simply trying to calculate his way out or call mama and daddy Nim to see if they can get him out or his homeboy Nim. But he said, Yahweh, God, I need you. He looked to Christ. He looked to, to Yahweh for his way out. Secondly, he was desperate. He was undignified. He was hitting his head against the wall, okay? He wasn't doing what we call back home church facing, where somebody says, you know, baby, how you doing? And you say, I'm blessed and highly favored. When you know you're going through something really hard, you don't let people in on what you're going through. David was like, God, help. God, I see you. I must see you in this situation. He wasn't church facing. He wasn't using religious jargon. David engaged God in his desperate place as if, as if God could be found there with him, as if God could be found there in that place with him, as if God was as real and as tangible as a very scary life and death experience he was facing. David reminds us that God is with us in whatever devastating or even decorated hell we find ourselves. Focusing on fear may, seem, may make God seem small and impotent while seeking his face enlarges, enlarges God's power, his promise, and his presence. It makes it more real and more compelling than our fears. David had experienced God as the one, and we all know this from his many, many songs. Um, God, David experienced God as the one who is present in the valleys of the shadow of death. David says, I won't be afraid. Why? Because you are with me. We have a close God. He is not far away. Second thing, so we see God sought David. The next thing he says, and he answered. Y'all, y'all need to be shouting right about now. Okay, that's your shouting moment. You missed it. <laughs> you missed it. I'm going to circle back. He answered. God's, well, good morning. God, he sought God, and God answered. Y'all, those are the most incredible words right there. I nearly came undone in my living room. God, God answers us. God answers me. I want you to imagine, or maybe even some of you can remember, a desperate situation like being broken down um, on the side of a highway. It's dark. You're by yourself. You don't have anybody. Or you're in a depressive place, and nobody really knows about you, but you've come to a place where you need somebody to know what's going on with you. And so you call your person, and the phone rings, and it rings, and it rings, and you're like, where the voicemail at or something? And it rings, and it rings, and finally you hear, hello? That is the most glorious sound you can hear in that moment. Because even though you are still physically by yourself, you feel like you are not by yourself, that there is a way of help and of escape. Similarly, when we call on the name of the Lord, family, he answers. Oftentimes, our prayers aren't very robust or active, they're not powerful because we expect God to not really say anything. We don't act like 
we don't have that childlike expectancy that if we call, he is going to answer us. Dave says, very simply yet profoundly, you call God, God will answer. Just so we know, there is nothing special about Dave. He is just a guy just like us. He is a human being. And, God, and David says, if God answers him, God answers. How often have you and I prayed to the ceiling and said, man, is my prayers even getting past the ceiling? Well, I have, a, I have an encouragement note for you. This is another time for you to take a lap. That God is in your situation with you. So you don't have to, so your prayers don't have to move past any barrier other than your faithlessness. Your God is in there with you. He loves you. He is close. When I was a little girl, um, I remember I'm from Chattanooga, as was said, uh, come from a fairly poor family. And my family at that particular time was just really going through some just dark things. My mom struggling with alcoholism and just under-resourced family. And I don't remember what exactly happened, but something pretty terrible happened. And I remember going to my little bed, and I remember sitting on the bed, clutching something, and I remember very distinctly looking at, the, at this dirty ceiling. And I don't know where I was with the Lord or any of that. I don't know exactly what words I used, but I remember yelling out, Help! Can somebody please do something? If there is a God or if there is someone who can even hear me right now, please do something. I cannot live like this. I'm a little kid. I say my little words. I say my piece. I wipe the snot from my face, and I go play. God is so amazing that at some period of time, very soon after that, he would send some crazy covenant students, some of y'all, to my neighborhood. These people are crazy. I love them, and, and they're amazing people, they're, but they're crazy. Um, they believed that the gospel was powerful and effective enough to radically transform the hearts, and, the hearts of any person in any place. They believed that God aimed to form a family for himself from all people, that the gospel was for all people. They came into my life, and through them, I got to know the one who answers. God answers in my desperate place, and he answers specifically and personally. So, the other thing that she asked us in the breakout session was, what do you want your audience to hear, to learn about fear? And David answers her question this time. He says at the end, he will deliver from all of our fears. Amen. He will deliver from how many? All. all. Okay, wait a minute. David, all of our fears? He's being dramatic again, right? <laughs> He's so tongue-in-cheek, like, come on, for real? But no, David was, is real about this. He said, from all of our, our fears. God shows us that the liberating power of God doesn't just address our immediate, what we ask for need, but it also... It's also, it addresses the long-term root issue that we all have, which is that we are all slaves, needing to be freed and taught to live in and out of that freedom, that we are all orphans in need of a loving father. Our God likes to do holistic, redemptive, glorious, kingdom-breaking, in-reigning work. Amen? Amen. Many of us pray deep prayers, but compared to what God is up to in you through your fear and anxiety— it's just the tip of the iceberg. There's always a greater and deeper, more glorious work, a greater need that we all have as humanity. All of us, all of us, everybody in this room, we all battle fear and anxiety. But fear and anxiety is supposed to act as an alarm 
an alarm to awaken us and to remind us that we have a deep need. And that deep need can only be satiated in the living hope who is our Christ. God is interested in addressing the pervasive effects of the fall and that we can't, we can't even begin to wrap our heads around it and what he's done and what's going on with us until we behold him. He's come to remove the things that make us afraid, anything from being late to a lack of resources to a lack of legacy and purpose and what are we doing in this world. So chronic illness to crippling, besetting appetites and sins, even death. He comes to remove fear and its power, and one day he promises he'll remove its very presence. That's another shouting moment. As far as the curse is found, it will be removed. Amen. We are freed not just from the quantity of fears, but its pervasive reign in our lives. God says, wake up. Wake up. Allow your fear to be your alarm clock. To wake up. My kingdom is breaking through as you walk into freedom, as you trust me. That's your application right there. As you trust me, for I have won freedom for you. Our Juneteenth Jesus, if you don't know what Juneteenth is, look it up. Not now. Our Juneteenth Jesus says, fear is a bully, and I've already whooped its behind. Amen. Amen. A pastor friend tells me all the time, he says, Pam, we need to talk to ourselves more than we listen to ourselves. We need to speak the promises and power of God back to God, but also to our fear and to one another. It's not enough to say, oh, girl, I'll pray for you. I'm sorry you're going through. Uh-uh. Speak some life. Speak that word because it's active in power, sharper than any double-edged sword, and it will accomplish what it's meant to accomplish. What you and I should be afraid of, which is eternal separation from God, has already been satisfied. You don't even have to be afraid of that because God has covered it in his perfect life, his death, and his resurrection. I love that this story and exaltation is set in the posture of worship. Fear and anxiety still shows up, and it threatens to undo me every second of every day. As we persevere in worship, and what I mean by that is as we have our worth shaped by his kingship, his rule and his reign, we are transformed from the inside out. So then, therefore, we get to stand unashamed, for we are in his liberating confidence, not in our own accomplishments. We stand in his grace and not our own guilt. We stand in his favor and not our fears. We stand in his perfection and not our own posturing, pretending, or performing. We stand in his amazing care of us and not in our own covering. As another friend quotes to me often is, for every glance you take at your sin, for all the ways you see how fear and anxiety debilitate you, he says, take two looks at your Savior. Look again at this liberating king. Look to him, the author, the perfecter of your faith. The great liberating work of God began in you through his son's work on the cross and in the resurrection. He will bring it to completion. Fear and anxiety, even though they are strong and powerful, they will not have the final say. They will not have the final say over you and over me, no matter how strong or how pervasive they appear right now. Amen. And they can't have the final say because God is our perfect pursuing father. He is one us. He is one you. And he, has, he is victorious over this ancient foe. 
He has won us and our freedom is secured in him. To truly taste and know freedom in our anxiety, in our anxiety, you may not be rid of your anxiety, but in your anxiety, we can still know freedom. We can know freedom if we are anchored in him. I know we're at this awesome, theologically astute school. Please don't get lost, y'all. We have to be anchored in him. You cannot know freedom apart from Christ. You can read all the cool books you want and pamphlets, but unless you are abiding in the living hope, you're just playing it. You're just fooling yourself. We have to abide in him. We are his beloved kids. And um, I finished with this story. I used to work here a long, long time ago, another lifetime ago. And when I first uh, came, my boss at the time, he afforded all of us, staff and family, uh, to be able to go to the beach. I love myself some beach, okay? I know I'm brown. I don't like to get my hair wet, but I still like the beach. <laughs> so we go to the beach, and I didn't really know what to take. So I take a lot of things. And uh, so we're there having a good time. I'm getting myself dressed. I put on my really 50-plus sunscreen. Yes and amen. I put that on. I have on a hat. I have my big glasses on. Um, I'm just all covered up. I have like a coverall over my coverall. It's real ridiculous. And I go down and I sit at the beach and I'm having a good time. Bless my heart. Um, so I'm sitting there. I'm sitting there baking. Okay. It's hot outside and I'm like wearing a parka. It's crazy. Um, and all of a sudden this little precious girl, Izzy, comes running down on the beach and she is the cutest thing ever. And she's having the time for life. She is just playing in the water. She's moving back and forth, talking with her dad, building sandcastles, running around. And I'm just watching her. And I watch her for a while. And her father comes and he sits down uh, next to us or near us. And then after a while of watching her, I just remember turning to him and saying, man, she seems so carefree and just full of life. And you kind of expect the father to go, yeah, she's, you know, she's like that. She's awesome. But he Jesus juked me. <laughs> this man. I'm minding my own business. He turns to me and he says, she acts that way. I believe she acts that way because she's loved and she knows it. <laughs> you could have said something else. But she knows that she is loved. Compared to me, sitting there all covered up, this adult, I should know better. And I'm all covered up. The Lord used that as a symbol, as a imagery for me of how I operate with him. God has won my freedom. He has offered me a time at the beach with him. He's afforded me something amazing and beautiful and free and life-giving and enjoyable, and I show up all covered up in my own efforts, my own fear, my own posturing. And God says, I want to make you free. I want you to be as free as Miss Izzy. I want you to come and enjoy the day at the beach. Our God has rescued us from the power of fear and one day from his very presence, amen, that we might now, today, family, live in and out of his marvelous freedom that is found only in him. He's equipped us with this awesome weapon of his word and of worship that we should not be so readily led away by fear and anxiety. Let's then, family, fix our eyes on him, on him by his power that answering the harassing call of, faith, of fear with faith, faith in our good, good Father. So your application. What now? What, so I ask you what they asked me, what are you afraid of? What are you afraid of? And why are you afraid of that thing or those things? 
but more importantly, more convincing, is how will you now, family, answer that fear? How will you answer that fear? I pray as we leave here, and please pray this for me, that we will be able to answer fear when it comes calling with faith, with hope and trust in the living God who has won our freedom, who has offered us a time at the beach with him. Hope is ours because God is our conquering king and our ever-present father. So brothers and sisters, I implore you to go and enjoy the beach. Trust your living hope who is forever with you in and all situations from now until you behold his face. Amen.